0: Welcome to the Career Happiness Podcast. My name is Soma Ghosh. I am the founder of a business called the Career Happiness Mentor. And within this podcast, we explore themes around career happiness, confidence, well being, and so much more. Not only do I do one to one personalized episodes to really, really support you as a listener. But you will have the chance to listen to really, really amazing guests from all corners of not just world, but different industries. It's really, really important that you are not only happy in your career, but you make time to progress in a way that feels right for you. So if you want to have more energy in your career, change your career, find out more about how to potentially start a business or even help your teenager with careers advice this is the podcast for you
1: thanks so much
0: the lovely aman with us here today hi Amman. how are you doing
1: hi i'm great thank you thank you so much for having me here
0: no i'm really really excited and thrilled that you're with us here today can you tell us a little bit more about what you do and
1: and who you work with yeah absolutely so i am a parenting coach But I work with parents and not the children. So it's really important to me that parents understand themselves. Parents are living in a truth, I want to say authentically, but authentically meaning they're happy within themselves, they understand themselves, they're fully aware of themselves so that when they are looking at their children, they are seeing their children for who they are and not projecting any of their previous issues onto their children
0: interesting when I initially first I met you at the quantum well-being event and you you did this amazing talk which that I had had a deep impact on me remember I came up to you and I said I cried (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah and also at the time I was going through a lot and you were very very kind to me considering I you know we'd first met and I think it's interesting that you said about, you know, making sure that parents are coming across in the most authentic, genuine way. But when you're kind of dealing with parents, what what do you think are kind of the most common issues that come up within within your work? So I think the
1: first thing that parents come to me with is, can you fix my child? There's something wrong with my child. And it's always about showing the parent, actually, it's not, your child is not the problem. Yes, there may be some things that they're doing, which are an issue, but they are triggering you to show you what you need to work on yourself. So every time you get triggered by a behavior that's being displayed by your child, it is then looking at you and understanding yourself. And I think that's a concept parents find really hard of I need to work on myself and this is my stuff and not my child's stuff. Um, so that is one of, I think, the challenges I come across.
0: Fixing the child. I know you talk a lot about this on your Instagram. And, and I know when I've spoken to my friends who are parents, because I'm not a parent myself, this whole kind of fixing concept, it's, it's often not really for. But I think I remember seeing something on your Instagram around how this actually affects the child rather than being helpful. Can you speak on that a little bit more, Amon?:
1: Yeah, so when you're, trying, well, when you're trying to fix a child, you're not understanding what is going on for the child. You want, you want them to conform to your ways and to your mannerisms, so to speak, and what you think is right and what you think is wrong. So you want them to follow down your path. But actually, when a child is displaying something that you label as wrong, It is not something wrong. It is your child actually saying, well, actually, I need something right now. Mm. But you're not listening and you're not looking. And this is why you're labeling my behavior as wrong, because you're not understanding what it is I want from you. So let's say if the child is having, people call these tantrums. I don't call them tantrums. I call them moments. A child is having a moment. And the parent will shout and say, well, stop doing that. Why are you doing that boy?" And drag the kid and, you know or shout at the child or do something to make the child stop. What needs to happen in that situation is you need to come down to the kid's level and say, depending on the situation and the circumstances where you are is, you know, I see you're upset. I see this is going on. Talk to the child, be at their level. I'm here for you. What would you like from me? And work with the child as a team and not be authoritative over your child um it's all about teamwork when it comes to parenting, and I think a lot of the times we see it as well, I'm the adult and I know better, and I'm going to tell you what to do, but in true reality is we're all children in human bodies until we fully understand ourselves and we know who we are, we're not being the adults in our bodies, so it's two children having a battle together instead, if we work on ourselves and we say... Okay, I know what I am and who I am. I'm now going to go to this child as an adult and meet this child where they are. It works differently.
0: Exactly. And and I and I do think as well when you were speaking there, it was making me think of because you know I've worked in schools before and I mm. see this dynamic with teenagers, you know, teachers even trying to fix them through actus parentis. And that's also not helpful to the child and often What I've seen when I've, you know, worked with young people is that when you're trying to fix an issue and the parents trying to put pressure on them academically, that has an impact. I mean, do you also work with parents of teens as well who are dealing with issues when they're in high school? Because I'm sure that can be a bit more complex because teenagers, you know, teenagers have of things that go on with them as well. Yeah. So
1: teenagers is labeled as you know the challenging years the hard years but actually it's a whole development stage going on with the child when they're becoming a teenager they're understanding what can be done and cannot be done on their terms Mm. and this is why parents think it's such a challenging period where it's actually the child is going well I know this is good for me and this is wrong for me and I don't want to do this and I do like this and I don't like that And when the parent puts the pressure on the child or even teachers, I think sometimes teachers can get attached to children and they might see themselves in this child and they think, well, I want you to thrive and do well because there's a bit of me that I see in you. And this is projecting again, parents, you know, project onto their children. I want you to be the best because my life was X, Y or Z or my life is X, Y and Z because I've done all these things. And if your child is not at that stage or at that level, if you force them to do something, you're killing their soul. Essentially,
0: you're not allowing Mm -hmm.
1: them to express themselves for who they are and what they want them to what you what they want to be for themselves. You have rolled out a carpet for them and said, well, walk down this carpet because this is the only path you're going to take. And what happens with teenagers is they will say, well, but I see the path on the right or I see the path on the left. And parents, a lot of the times will say, no, you walk the path straight ahead that I've laid for you. And that's where the challenges, I think, come with teenagers. Instead, what should happen is, you know, the parents can say, "Okay, let's talk about your path. What is on your path? What would you like to do? What would you like Let's go down this path together, you know, and see how we can work on it. Let's have some compromises. Maybe we take some stuff, you know, we go onto my path sometimes, and sometimes we go onto your path. And we do this dancing of moving along both paths as opposed to it's my way or no way. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense, Amanda. And I think it's interesting because it reminds me of this scenario. I'll tell you this story quickly, you'll find it very interesting. I was working in this school and I was at a parents evening mm. and there was this girl who was misbehaving she'd been misbehaving since year seven and bear in mind this was year 11 parents evening and I was sitting there and she had issues with her dad mum and dad got divorced when she was very very young um, and apparently first day of school I was told by one of the teachers the teachers told me all these negative things about her like that she was rude that she was you know you're not going to be able to talk to her for a while all these things and apparently on the first day she threw a chair at the teacher she was very very angry a lot of the time mm. I mean but nobody actually sat down and tried to understand where that anger was coming from so what they did yeah. I mean, sadly is they gave her this mentor who would be with her who really inspired her and she really really looked up to him but literally on that parents evening what happened is the da- the dad was there and the dad was pressuring her to do certain like education path. She didn't want to do that. And so she walked out and the dad yeah. was apologizing, saying, oh, you know, my wife, ex-wife has done this and done that. And when I saw her one-to-one, she was wonderful. She was a wonderful young child. It's just yeah. nobody was giving her that nurturing element. Yeah. Nobody was saying to her, what do you want? You know, and I'm sure you see this in your work a, a lot of the time. Um it's probably not yeah. common to you a story like this. I mean, in that kind of scenario, when you're when you're working with a parent like that, what, what is it that you kind of what are the tools that you kind of give them to, to help? Because I guess it's a step-by-step process, especially if that parent's very close closed minded, I imagine.
1: Yeah. So it's really interesting, but I recorded a story to go out today. Um on parents who are not together and, you know, how to work with the other parents. It's interesting this has come up.
0: Mm.
1: But I think the first thing that you can do is if you can't support your child, and sometimes it's really hard for the parents to see when they're in their anger and resentment that the child is involved in this relationship too, the child is involved in this breakup too. And I think this is where teachers can play a big part. You know, in year seven, they've shared with you that you know this kid has gone through this and you know you've learned okay there's a separation what school can do is go okay well this has happened to the child how can we support this child going forward now and try and understand the behaviors the anger is there because of what has happened in her childhood what has happened at a young age you know it's it's challenging when parents break up I remember you know when I ended my relationship with my ex-husband. It was really challenging, but I had to make sure that when I was showing up with my daughter, I was leaving my sadness behind and my Mm -hmm. anger behind. And when I was showing up with her, it was from a place of love. Regardless of what happened between me and her dad, I had to show up with love for her sake, because I didn't want to then imprint what she thought of her father or how she turned out or what her relationships were going to look like in the future and I think if the parents like the capacity to see that and it's very easily done and I think the only reason I managed to do it was because I was having therapy at the time and I was working through myself and you know I was dedicated to working on myself and I was able to see things a lot quicker but I think schools can step in and you know schools can say well okay this child has been through a separation we see that there is a problem with this child how can we get support for this child and it can be challenging because there's not enough resources out there there's not enough support out there for children but even teachers you know when I always say you don't have to be a parent to be conscious you can be anyone who's around children if you're tapping in and you're conscious of yourself you can then support any child around you because you will understand well I'm happy and connected within myself and I see this other child is not looking right or this child is sad or this child is angry actually I have the tools to come down to this child's level and speak to them and connect with them and then I can support them through and when it comes to the situation like you said you know the father apologizing and saying well the mum has done x y and z it goes back to that thing that I always talk about is when you point one finger at someone there's always three pointing back at you People don't look at their behaviours and what they're doing and the impact that has on their children. It's always easier to look at that one finger pointing at the other parent and going, well, it's all their fault. Well, actually, there's those three pointing straight back at you. What have you done? How have you shown up? What have you done to support your child? Let's look at that instead of blaming the other parent. Because if you're showing up genuinely, authentically connected on your child's level, the future of this child will be different. How this child shows up will be different. You know, with this girl, if the father had shown up differently, the anger may not have been there. It could have softened.
0: No, definitely. And I think it's interesting what you're saying about resources, Um, Amun, because I've, I mean, I don't work in schools so much now. I only do remote freelance work occasionally. I don't go into schools as much now. But what I've noticed over the years, I became a Careers Advisor in 2008 till now. There there was a lot more resources then, especially with pastoral care. And there used to be, um, in one of the schools I worked in many years ago, a very dedicated pastoral officer. I know in a lot of schools now, they don't always have funding for that kind of thing. And it's interesting because I think the schools do try, in that school, what I used to find, is and this isn't in every school and I don't want to speak on behalf of this school but what I used to find is they used to kind of judge children who are in these situations because there was another child in that kind of situation in the same school and he was always getting in trouble but they weren't actually trying to you know have a come to a you know resolution to support um, yeah. the parents either and I found that really really sad and I know it's commonplace in other things but deeper than that i feel that this childhood trauma that a lot of children are are, are carrying in the school whether it's through divorce death of a parent which is something i've experienced for me i've spoken about trauma on this podcast before quite openly when i lost my dad it did have a deep impact on me i didn't really do anything about it until my 30s But why do you you think we don't normalise conversations around childhood trauma? And is this something that you feel we should start dealing with earlier?
1: So I think one reason is because our parents never talked about it. Our parents have been through things and they. So, again, I don't I've moved away from the word trauma because it's a trauma if you attach meaning to it and you stick to the story it can be an experience you've been through. And then depending on how you relate to that experience, it will either be a traumatic experience. It will be a experience, something you've been through and you learn from it, which gives you an opportunity to evolve. I'm hoping that makes sense. Yes, yes. Okay, perfect. So with an experience, in brackets trauma, what happens is, you know, in the old generations, people never talked about these things. Something happens, you just brush it under the carpet and you get on with life and you pretend like that experience did not happen because you don't have the tools to even comprehend what has happened. You don't have the tools to even, you don't know who to turn to, to basically speak about this experience, depending on what it is, obviously, there's no support out there for you. So you brush it under the carpet and then your children have seen, well, actually, my parents went through this and they've never talked about it. And I don't know. And I don't know what this is. Oh, I'll just do what they do. They never spoke about it and we'll just move on in life. But what ends up happening is we then either forget the experiences we've had or we attach a label to them and we then live in that story of, I went through this big bad thing and now my story is this and I'm going to sit in this space. Or if you forget about it, you dissociate. And I'm one of those people who had dissociated from my experiences in my childhood. So you go about your life not remembering or living in it. And it's both of them serve you because if you don't remember it, you can't, you're not attached to anything. You're just moving through life without any attachment to a story from previously. But if you're moving through life with an attachment to the story of something that's happened to you, it's giving you excuses and opportunities, subconsciously this is, you're not doing this consciously, to then live in this bubble of yours and say, I can't do this because this happened to me and that was bad and now I'm going to stay in my bubble because it's really safe in here and it holds you back. But actually, if you look at it as, okay, I went through this big experience in my childhood, If I can sit with it, sit in the discomfort of it, because if you've labeled it a trauma, it's a discomfort. If you've dissociated from it, it's a, again, it's something that you're not aware of. It's a discomfort. You sit in it and you work through it. You then come out the other end and you can look back at it and go, that was an experience I went through. Yes, it was very challenging. And I'm not saying it was okay to have gone through that experience, but I've got these lessons from it. I now know that that experience has taught me X, Y, and Z, and I can move forward from it. And I think a lot of the times what the problem is, people don't understand or realize that their trauma doesn't limit their life. It's not, there's more to it. You know, you go through these experiences. And again, I'm, I'm going to speak now from like a soul level. We go through experiences so we can evolve as a soul. So if you look at experiences and you go, okay, I went through this like you know for myself like I've spoken about this you know I've been through sexual experiences people will call it a sexual trauma or abuse and I call it a sexual experience I've been through it I have sat in the discomfort of that and I have understood the experience I've been through what I learned from it and the person I am today because of those experiences if I hadn't been through that I wouldn't be this person today. I wouldn't be able to help people who have been through similar situations because I wouldn't understand. And it's really important, I think, for people to also be okay with the experiences they've been through in their childhood. There is no good and there is no bad. There is no right and there is no wrong. It's just labels that society have given. To different situations and different circumstances of this is good and this is bad, and today I'm gonna chuck this in the good pile and the bad pile. Well, actually, no, there is no such thing. They are labels. And if you just say, This is what I've been through, and that's okay, and I'm gonna work through this and I'm gonna understand it, your challenges are there to help you grow and evolve. So I think so. I think what if people understand that trauma is not a bad thing when they label it trauma, you label an experience it's not that scary. When you label it a trauma, that's a big bad thing in people's view. So if you say, well, I've been through this experience and I'd like help to support myself to come out of this, even if it's something small, you know, I talk about there is no big trauma or small trauma. It is how you have associated with that situation, which then impacts everything you do. If you're young and your teacher shouts at you or your parents shout at you, someone might say, well, that's not a trauma at all or that's not a bad experience at all. But if the child has taken that as I'm fear, scared, whatever the emotions come up for that child in that situation is is labeled a negative experience, is labeled a, you know, in brackets, a, a, a trauma and that child then lives from this place of, if someone raises their voice, if someone shouts, I go into shutdown mode, I freeze because I don't know what to do. And then this child becomes an adult and every time someone shouts at this child, or you know, raises their voice, this adult will then freeze. Because like I said before, we're all children living in adult bodies until we fully understand ourselves and come back to ourselves. This This adult, will freeze and not know what to do because they've been sent back to that age where a teacher or a parent was shouting at them. Obviously, there's the experiences which are a lot bigger like, you know, the sexual experience, physical, violence, all of those. Again, when you understand them and work through them and not label them a trauma, as you grow up and you evolve, you will attract different scenarios and situations in your life from a more healed place, you know, if you go go to a place where you're not feeling right and there's your gut feeling is saying this is really uncomfortable for me. Someone who's been through an, an experience in their childhood will go, this doesn't feel good, but I'm going to stay here because I don't know what else to do. And I'm going to stay in the situation. Someone who has worked on themselves will go, this doesn't feel good. I know I felt this before. I'm actually going to leave and walk away from this place because you've understood and you've sat in that discomfort of what has happened before, you understand it, you're listening to yourself because you're connected to yourself now and you walk away from situations a lot sooner. I think I went the really long way explaining that.
0: And, and to be honest with you, I mean, you've made me think of things and I'm quite open about this. I'm, I'm in therapy at the moment myself. And I think it's all about understanding those patterns that you had, like when I was a child, i i was very introverted and i didn't okay. i didn't speak up because of after my dad died it wasn't really discussed you know yeah. and that's nobody's fault i mean i think it was more no. because my mum and my sister wanted to protect me it's not because they didn't want to they always spoke about him they just didn't speak yeah. about the death part of it if that makes sense yeah and and i know that's very common when a parent dies whether it's a mum or dad you know whether grandpa or grandma and you were close to them and I just think that you know when you're talking about the trauma there it's really really interesting because uh, I think we attach so much negativity towards it it's made me think about it in a different way so very interesting thank you for sharing that really really interesting problem I'm glad it helped Um, no 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 It was really really interesting and I, I know it will help the listeners as well because I think we often associate so much negativity with trauma rather than try and think about how we can reframe it and that's really important. Yeah. Um I work with you know like a lot of teenagers who carry like lots of worry and concern and you know I'm talking to a lot of parents at the moment who, who are dealing with lots of things you know we're living in this like weird time at the minute and you know I know you talk about parenting in a conscious way and actually parenting yourself. What tips or advice would you give to kind of start your journey with this?
1: So I think the first one is when you have someone on the outside trigger you or create an emotion within you, instead of reacting, and I know this is easier said than done. I still do it sometimes. Instead of reacting, ask yourself, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? So, you know, the analogy I use, you point one finger at someone, there's three back at you, that one person is, let's say, holding up a mirror to say, you know, and our kids do this, they hold up a mirror to say, hey, I'm going to shine my mirror on all your wounds so that you can work on yourself and you can become a more evolved person. So instead of going, this is again, not just for parents, it's for anyone in general, When someone or something on the outside affects you on the inside, instead of looking at that one finger, look at the three back. What am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? When have I felt this before? And sit there and just journal on it. And if you can't do it in that moment, do it later. But I think, you know, someone reminded me the other day is when you're being reacted. Just take a few deep breaths, deep, a long breath in, hold it for a second, breathe out, hold it for a second, because that just regulates your nervous system. And then you can deal with the person in front of you from a non-triggered place because you've now gone and calmed yourself. But later on, go back and say, why did I do that? Why did I feel that way? Why was I reacting this way? Why did their behavior make me feel this? You know, a simple example I'll give you is with my daughter recently. Oh, I've got a new puppy. And in the evening, because Christmas plays coming up at school, she keeps singing these Christmas songs. And about eight o'clock in the evening, I'm done. I'm like, I don't want to hear the singing anymore. And I'll just be like, I have to zip it, please. Like, I just need silence. And then I reflected after two days. And yesterday when she came home, I was like, look, I'm really sorry. I've been a bit girl at you when you're singing but mommy's just exhausted and you know there's having the puppy and then having you and it's the evening I just need some quiet time I would just like it to be quiet and I know you're loving the whole singing thing so how about we have a compromise you can sing up until this o'clock and then you wait until you're in your bedroom and you can sing your heart out absolutely fine because I'm not around you and then I'm concentrating on the puppy but it was, I had to go back and reflect on myself and go, why am I so annoyed at her for singing? Like she, she loves singing. She's always sung. Why is it all of a sudden? And it's okay, what's adding to this? Oh, there's a puppy and I need to now look after the puppy. And then apologize to your children as well is really important. Or apologize to other people, just not your children. You know, we all make mistakes. Mistakes are there to be learned from. So when you've reflected and you've gone, oh, that was 100% my stuff, go back to the other person and say, look, I own it. That was me. I'm really sorry. It came up like this. And then you say, I will try not to do it again. But make sure you're consciously making the effort to try not to do it again. Because you know, I shared this post the other day on my Instagram page of when you apologize, there's no point doing something and apologizing and then doing it again and apologizing again. You make the mistake, you learn from it. If we're all human, you do it again. The more you practice this of checking inwards, the more you you catch yourself quicker. You snap, you'll reflect quicker and you'll go back and you'll apologize quicker. Hey, look, I'm really trying, I'm really learning. You just need to be patient with me. And keep doing that constant check-in. What is this telling me about myself? what is this telling me about myself, what can I do to understand myself better, you can never change the person outside of you, you can only change yourself and the self-reflection brings that in for you to understand yourself.
0: Yeah, it's very very interesting and I think like self-reflection, self-awareness, sometimes some people have it sooner, sometimes it comes later, sometimes it may not it doesn't come come. (laughs) it may not come not in a bad way but I'm I'm sure I mean you know you've met all sorts of people I was having a conversation with my husband actually the other day and we were talking about emotional intelligence and you know I think it's this skill especially in the workplace that needs to be developed more yet in the modern age we don't really do enough to home
1: in on it do we really no no, we don't, um, which is sad. But again, it's because I think people don't talk about it. It's, it's a lot more common now. A few years ago, it wasn't as common. And I think it will come in at a very slow pace. Um, but the more I think we do the work we're doing, the more we voice the work we're doing, the more people will become aware and hopefully trigger something or spark something within someone to go, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to do my own research and you know I'm gonna do my own work on this myself and not wait for work or companies or like corporations to bring this to them. Hopefully doing this work will pass it round to everyone else. You know, it's that ripple effect and I'm hoping that's what happens with it.
0: Yeah, no, I yeah. definitely. Um, can I just ask? I know, actually, I'm in, like a bit. Obviously, I know that you have this business now, but what were you doing work wise before you, you had this business? So,
1: um, I was a dental practice manager. Um, I've been in dent in dental since I was 16. So I was a dental nurse, and then I became worked myself up and became a practice manager. Um, so, it something completely different, still helping people, but in a different way.
0: That's really interesting. Very, very, very different. Um, yes. But I'm, I'm sure you met all sorts of really, really interesting people in that job because you see all sorts of characters in, in surgeries yeah. and places like that. Must very interesting. Um, coming back to kind of young people, I just want to ask kind of like this question because this is something that I'm scene. I kind of saw it last year when I was working in a school, you know, this pressure for young people to succeed and do well and stand out. And I know you've spoken a little bit about this on your Instagram and you did a brilliant story with, with, with your daughter talking about this, I remember. Um, you know, what do you feel that parents and young people can do to make sure this doesn't manifest into something that causes worry about their future? For example, I remember a young person specifically telling me a while ago they didn't feel good at anything because they weren't academic enough. In fact, I'm starting to hear this narrative from others too. Not only does it deeply concern me, what can we do as a society collectively to support young people who feel this way? And I know that's quite a big question, but I'd love to know your yeah. perspective on it.
1: So I think it all starts at home first. It's if the parents are projecting onto the child of you need to be X, Y and Z, that's the pressure put on the child there straight away. Um, You know, it's that story that my daughter did on my Instagram page. It was her talking about a kid at school who has got this pressure of she must be the best at everything. But when she goes to try it, she actually just shuts off because she doesn't know what to do because she's got that pressure of I I must be amazing. I must be the best. And then she goes to do it and her brain's gone off. And then she's not being she's not. um, Oh, God, I've lost my word there. She's not then bringing that, you know. Level of what her knowledge onto whatever she needs to do because her brain has gone to switch off mode. So, I think what needs to happen first is parents need to stop pressurizing their children. Your child will go through the journey they're supposed to go through. I think that needs to be understood first. They, whatever path they choose, always be there open, waiting for them to support them if they need the support. Yes, you can guide your child. So instead of, you know, that analogy I talked about rolling the carpet for them, instead of rolling the carpet for them, hold their hand and say, "Okay, what would you like to do? I think this and you think this. Let's see how we can compromise. Now, how can we do a dance between your carpet and my carpet while we hold hands together and take this path, this journey down together? Think when you pressurize your child, what happens is, like I said, with this girl, you know, her brain just switches off. But you're also not allowing them to be who they want to be they then grow up there's so many people i've met who've grown up and are in professions that they're not happy in and when you know i say well why are you doing this profession well my parents told me to i did it for them well who's living this unhappy life now is it your parents or is it you yes you have the financial abundance and you have this luxurious lifestyle but Are you really happy within yourself? No, you're not. So is it worth killing your soul, or is it worth making your parents happy? And I think if parents can understand that, that's where that beautiful holding hand and dancing from you know carpet to carpet goes. Because you can say, well, okay, I see this will make you unhappy, but what can we do to make sure that you're doing something you love, but you also have financial security in this, and you have a future. You can set yourself a future up. And I think the other thing that parents don't want their children to do is make mistakes. And I've always said this to my daughter, you know, you must make mistakes to learn from them. If you don't make a mistake, how are you going to learn from it? How are you going to better yourself? How do you know that there's going to be other options? So if you allow your children to make mistakes, again, it's that whole concept of stay there, ready to support them if they need you. So if they make a mistake, instead of saying, told you not to do that, that was a wrong thing, you should have done what I said, say, oh dear, that was a mistake, how do we learn from this? What can you do differently next time? But if you start this from a young age, and not wait for them to be teenagers or adults, the flow of what they're going to be doing is going to be completely different, as opposed to what it's going to be at their teenagers, where you're then They've got this pressure built in them already. I must be perfect or I must do this because I've heard it my whole life. And then the child will go and do what they want, the parents want them to do. And will the child be happy? Will the child feel the pressure? Or let's just say you want your child to do maths and your child wants to do science. And you say, okay, there is actually maths involved in science. So that's fine. You can go to let's this is hypothetical. You can go to university and do science. The maths is still in that. Support your child through this and not drag them down their path, because if you make them do maths, are they really going to be happy? Are they really going to give it their best? They might give it their best for you, but they're not going to be happy. If you let them do, let's say, the science, they're going to enjoy every single second of this and they're going to show up differently as opposed to what they would have done if they'd gone down your path does that make sense
0: yeah no, definitely and, and, and did I that, that I answer was... the question oh no no definitely answered the question oh, yeah. and, and, I, and I was wondering you know like as you were speaking a couple of thoughts came up for me because it's interesting because when I used to work in schools there were a lot of parents them I mean, who you know well when I mean a lot actually it's kind of weird there was a small percentage of parents I remember who were like when they would come into the parents evening or the careers meeting um, sometimes this would happen where a parent would want to come along fair enough they had that right to in certain schools yeah. um, they'll be like oh I just want my child to be happy but that used to be in the minority Like yeah. most of the time it was like no I want my child to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it is And then also this disappointment of if their child wasn't academic enough, then putting that pressure on that child and that child just not feeling good enough, you know? And I know when I was growing up, I wasn't particularly academic. My sister was very academic. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with my mum when I was an adult and saying that you do know when you would compare us. That actually used to make me feel like absolute rubbish Mark yeah and it was weird because I thought she would be really angry with me when I had that conversation because she's a teacher but she was wonderful about it she goes why didn't you tell me when you were younger and I go because you were scary <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, by the way my mum when I mean scary I mean like my mum has this philosophy I mean that when you're a child you should be a bit intimidated by your parent but when you're an adult your child becomes your friend that's my mum's Um, yeah so that doesn't mean that that she you know didn't love me she was just doing the best as as a lone parent because she was a lone parent by that time but I think it's really really interesting what you were saying there because I think it's it's not just these academic jobs it's that I've done a recent episode about sought after degrees because what a lot of people aren't understanding is they get their son or daughter to do a degree and then they you know they can't find a job yeah So they do a degree yeah. in history, let's say, something very academic at, I don't know, Oxford or Cambridge, one of the Russell Group universities, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, tick, my son or daughter went there, you know, or child went there. and But then the child has no idea what they want to yeah. do. And then, and then it's the pressure, it's the pressure, yeah. and it becomes a melting pot. It's not, it's not helpful.
1: No, it's not. And you know, something I always say to my daughter is, First of all, I don't agree with comparing your children. You know, I was compared growing up with other children with my brother and I grew up in Africa, so I had cousins in the house as well. And I think comparing can really, like you said, affect the child. And parents don't realize how deep that can go when you're comparing your child to someone else. Some kids might not care. Some kids might really get affected by it. But another thing I always say to my daughter is, we can't all have the same jobs. Just imagine we all did absolutely this, everything we did the same. Forget jobs, our personalities were the same, what we liked, what we disliked, everything was absolutely the same. The world would not be a nice place. We all have different places to do different things, to be different people so that we can bring this community together of difference and not... You know, again, I I don't know why I'm using this analogy a lot today, but it's walking down that straight path. If everyone walked down the straight path, what would be happening around you? Nothing. And it's really important, I think, for parents to understand that your child doesn't have to be X, Y and Z because you want them to be that. Let them be what they want to be. And that other job will be taken care of by someone who wants to do it. And not, you know, the financial security can come through different ways and not just the label of the jobs and like you said kids go off to university they come out and then there's this whole thing of well what do I do now because there's no jobs for me if the child would have chosen something they wanted to do and researched it themselves and gone well okay I can do this and I know when I leave university I can go into this profession into this company or this whatever because I've really looked into it and this is something I'm interested in it's a huge difference.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's been really, really interesting over the last like five, six years, just before I started my business, actually, I I spoke to this young boy, he was such a um, kind of uh, like, he had such deep thinking for like a 17 year old, we were talking about what he wanted to do. And he said, Oh, both my brothers have gone to uni, and I don't want to go to uni, I want to do a, well, I want to go to uni, but I want to do a degree apprenticeship. And I go okay why do you want to do one and he goes well my mum and dad have struggled so much you know they've taken loans out I don't want to put them in that position I want to start earning money like as soon as I've done my A levels and I was really kind of taken aback by his way of thinking that he had that much empathy and understanding that his parents were struggling basically and often when I bring it up with some parents like nope I don't want my child to do that and I'm like have you even looked at it have you even like researched have you thought about it because if they start earning their money sooner you could you could help them understand how to manage money sooner and that actually yeah. helped them rather than them going to uni for three four years and then you know actually being in a position where they've got no idea and there's no wrong or right I've spoken about it on no. the before by the way I am mean, depending on and I've, you know I've tried to give careers advice in a very impartial way as I always do but I think the problem is is that that word that you use there there's no good or bad job it's this yeah. snobbery almost I'm going to say where people label certain jobs as not being good but <laughs> if we do that then we don't have an equal and cohesive society we have a society where we're only telling people to go for status driven jobs it's just not helpful it's not helpful at all. No. I remember when we met at the like quantum well being event in March, you know, you said, although your work is primarily with parents, we all need to parent ourselves. I I remember this really staying with me. (laughs) And, and, you know, I've especially been kind of thinking about this more as I'm in therapy. Um, And I think it's something that we've often like, we do actually need to think about a bit more. But what tips would you give to anyone who needs to heal or parent themselves? And why do you think this is something that no one really considers?
1: So I think reparenting yourself is something that's not considered because it's, well, again, I'm going to go to the three finger, you know, the pointing the finger analogy is nobody looks at the three fingers pointing back at them. Nothing could possibly be wrong with me. Um, It's the other person or other situations that the outside is basically what's wrong and not me, because we've not been told to reflect inwards to see actually, well, what are you doing? How are you showing up? What is going on within you? Because whatever is going in within you is either attracting what's going on outside or is making you react to things on the outside because of everything happening inside you. And, uh, you know, a lot of the times we're not taught to look inwards. And reparenting yourself is looking at yourself. It's really looking in the mirror and going, okay, let's unpack what is going on within me. Why am I being X, Y, or Z? Why am I reacting like this to this person or to these situations? And I think if you, for me, reparenting yourself means that you are fully connected back to you. You fully understand yourself. Who am I? What do I like? What do I not like? What do I want to do? What do I not want to do? If I want to do something and I don't like it, that's okay. I tried it. I'll put it down to an experience and not a, big bad thing that happened to me and I will move on with my life but it's all about connecting back to yourself reparenting is and I think every individual should reparent themselves because you then start showing up in a different way which means you're then passing on something different to each and every individual you're connecting with each and each individual you're interacting with you're giving them something different If you are fully connected to yourself, let's say someone is being angry and shouty and you are now the adult in your body and the child is is healed within you. You're not going to react to this angry person. You're not going to allow this angry person to impact the rest of your day because they're in a bad mood. You're just going to go, well, they're in a bad mood. I will send you some love and I move on. Imagine if life was like that. But then when we have children or we are around children, a lot of the times we end up projecting our stuff onto them. We end up shutting them down because we don't have the capacity to look inwards to understand ourselves, to really know what's going on with us. We just want this other person outside us to just be quiet and just comply with what we're saying. But if you are fully connected with yourself, you can then go, "Okay, my child is being X, Y and Z. Why are they being X, Y and Z? What can I do to support them? It doesn't have to be a child. It can be an individual, a partner, a parent. What do I need to do to support this person? I am fully connected within myself that I'm not going to let this thing happening affect me, but I can support them through this. I think that's really, really important important with reparenting yourself and understanding yourself.
0: Yeah, I mean, as I said, I've never heard of reparenting until I'd heard your talk I'll be, I'll be honest I think it, it just really it really did stay with me it's, it's really really interesting what you were saying there um, and, where can people connect with you where can they find you because you've been really really awesome today it'd be great for people to find out how they can find you
1: thank you yeah so I'm on Instagram mainly um and I'm the mindful parenting coach on Instagram um, and you know, if you want to get, if people want to get in touch, they can just send me a DM. My email address is a bit long, so <laughs> I won't share that, but yeah, Instagram is probably the best place to. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great. Yeah, it's
0: been really, really good. Thank you so much for listening to the career happiness podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media or with somebody, you know, it will make a significant difference to And remember, if you haven't already, please take some time to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much.